edition of the Jackets Online podcast. We had some technical difficulties with the first one we rolled out. We were hoping to get it to you on Thanksgiving, but uh, we'll get it to you in middle of the night, and hopefully you guys will wake up to this on Friday morning. And uh, this is a weird week. It's a odd season. Georgia Tech's got a tough challenge ahead of them with a very good Georgia team. Probably the best one they've played since 2012. And uh, there's a lot on the line for both teams. Georgia's trying to stay alive in the playoff race, and Georgia Tech is trying to get bowl eligible, which is something that seemed like given last week to us, Jared. We were pretty overly confident about uh, the Duke game. Yeah, absolutely. I remember both of us saying last week we would both, or both of us predicted a, a double-digit win for Georgia Tech, and like you said on Twitter, we I mean we made the right prediction, just the wrong team. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was an eye-opening experience being there watching that. It was the worst game I've seen in person probably since the Middle Tennessee State loss and and Bobby Dodd, and then before that you'd have to go back to Kansas, the trip in Lawrence. The difference in the game in Kansas was they fell down nineteen nothing, I believe, in that game, and then stormed back. It was sort of the opposite. Yeah. This one they got punched in the face in the second half and really had no reaction to it and the, the, they're still they scoring got, right now up in Durham on Ted Roof's defense. Yeah, they got RKO'd in the second half. They didn't even get punched. There was a full-on finisher move just absolutely no chance in the second half. Yeah, I mean my favorite stat from that game was Paul Johnson's used it several times too because he was just as appalled by it as I was. 30 plays, 198 yards in the third quarter for Duke and 6 for 5 for Georgia Tech. And that's like the exact opposite of what's like you would think if you hear those two stats, especially in a Georgia Tech and Duke game, you would say, okay, Georgia Tech held on to the ball for the entire quarter. And, you know, nope. nope. They got out, they got out hustled, outplayed, outcoached, um, out schemed. Uh, they, they lined up got, and played the same way that they played Georgia Tech last year and did the same thing. They just got beat. Just like it's honestly, like you said, one of the worst losses that you've ever seen as a covering tech or just any tech fan has ever seen really. Well, and, I've, and the thing is I've seen other losses and I've seen losses that were worse than that from a straight statistical point of view. But in those games, they were just overmatched. Like when, uh, when um, Bronco Mendenhall brought his 40 year old BYU players down to Bobby Todd <laughs> a few years ago, that was pretty thorough uh, ass yeah. whooping. And mm-hmm. then, um, you know, a couple hey, of those Paul Clemson games. Too. kickoff for a touchdown in that game. That was about the one bright spot throughout that entire game. Yeah, that might have been the only points in that game for Georgia Tech. Uh, I'm trying to remember. They may be I think they may have had offense. a field goal. Yeah, they did something because Paul Johnson's never been shut out on offense in a game. So yeah, they did something they in that game. But, oh. but yeah, um, so, I mean, that, that happens. I mean, I've seen – I've been present when it's happened to, to UGA, to be honest. I was working one – the uh, the infamous blackout game that they had against Alabama. I was working for CBS at the time, and uh, I was doing stats in the booth and uh, in the press box. And I, it was like the the place was electric for like five minutes, and then it just died. <laughs> and they that was as bad a beating as I've seen anyone take, uh, you know, outside of like some video on the internet. So. And now um, you never really see Georgia wear black jerseys too often anymore. No, they they retired those uh, after that one. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of those weird things. You get into this. I've seen both sides of the rivalry. I've covered both sides of this rivalry with Georgia. And 
this is a really good Georgia team, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens on Saturday. You just don't know. It's a rivalry game, which is always a weird thing, and odd things can happen in these games. And you and I have talked about this a lot this week, that my opinion is that it's a close game where they get just completely boat raced by Georgia. Yeah, I mean, that I really don't see how you could see it any other way. I mean, if you're if you're a Tech fan, I mean, there's just no way you could be confident enough headed into this <laughs> game that, that you're about to go and just destroy this Georgia team by 20, 30 points. I mean, it's just not realistic. I'm not saying it's impossible. I just think that a lot of things would have to go our way that is like one in a million type things. However, I do think that if Georgia Tech is going to win the game, I, I feel like it's going to be a close one. I don't think – I think they have a chance to win the game, absolutely. But, uh, you know, just kind of feeling the same way you are right now. Just if they're going to win, I feel like it's going to be a nail-biter. But then there's also the part of me that could see it being just like 2012 all over again. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, you move along and then you see what happens. And you just watch the game and it's been a, a weird season. And I think that there's going to be changes of some type to the staff. I mean, ultimately they're going to have a 10 10- Tenth coach, no matter what. So there's going to be at least mm-hmm. that, a change on that level. But I think there's, from just reading the tea leaves, being around the team, talking to Paul Johnson a lot, um, just knowing kind of how he is and how he operates, and hearing kind of what's been going on since the Duke game, uh, he he led into his staff pretty hard, from what I've heard. And I think he's he's at sort of at this point now where. He has to kind of dig in and, and make a move and try to set himself up for a final run. I know he would like to get to 200 wins, and I think he would like to, to make another run at ACC Championship, get back to that game and try to win it. And I don't think they have – they don't. the staff is not operating in a way where they're going to get back to that situation, in my opinion, covering this from the outside. And I'm not – the one that can make the calls on who should be fired and who should move on and who should retire and all those type of things. Cause I'm friends with a lot of these guys. It is a tough situation for me to be in as a reporter, having a relationship with almost everyone on, on Paul's staff on some level. But I will say that, um, what they're doing, it, it's not working and they're having issues, motivating players, getting them coached up, uh, getting execution, um, Seeing player development on the lines of scrimmage has been a, a real struggle. Uh, you know, linebacker plays not been good this year. Uh, a back play has not been good this year. Uh, you know, throw, the passing game has not been good this year. So there's a lot of things, and then special teams has been a utter disaster. So at some point, as a coach, you're going to take responsibility for it. And Paul Johnson knows that these struggles are reflecting poorly upon him now, and you have an AD and, and Todd Stansberry who's willing to work with him to figure out ways to, to keep the peace, keep things happy, whether that means maybe moving some guys off the field, moving them into analyst positions, whatever that, whatever those moves are, there's some things that can be done here. And I think they got to get a little bit younger and more aggressive on the recruiting trail. And I think that's an area where Georgia tech has underperformed uh, at times. They've gotten some good players, but Ultimately, at the end of the day, they still need one or two. They need a few more NFL guys. It's not they're not going to go sign five five stars, but if you can get one more guy on each side of the ball in each class, that's a, you know on the level of a Shaq Mason or on the level of a um, 
mm-hmm. Jerry Atachu. I mean, they haven't had a pass rusher since Jer- Jerry Atachu left. That's been um, Adam Gotson is doing all right. Adam did okay. He was a defensive and playing defensive tackle in college, and he was okay. Just like Desmond Branch is okay right now. Like, but you're having to play guys out of position because of recruiting issues. Um, there's just a lot of stuff that I don't like. I don't think the schemes match up on defense with what the coach expects and what the talent can execute. And I don't know what you do there either with Ted Roof. That's a tricky situation because he's, you know, a Georgia Tech legend in a lot of ways and very tight with Todd Stansberry. And Paul Johnson likes him a lot personally, and the kids like him. But <laughs> when they score at the end of every – uh, end of the first half of every single game you played in most of the games yeah. in the fourth quarter. And you're literally looking right now, you could be seeing it eight and two instead of five and five. Yeah. I saw somebody say uh, against Duke, they got, when they got the ball back with like two minutes left, somebody said on Twitter, they were like, congratulations Duke for scoring a touchdown before the half and tying the game up. Like this is right when they got the ball. And sure enough, Drove right down the field, scored right before halftime, and I mean it's just it's it's kind of ridiculous. And one thing I was going to ask you, Kelly, we didn't talk about this last time, but uh, if something was was to happen to Ted Roof, you know, we talked about him probably he possibly could be coaching for his job this weekend against Georgia. Um, so if something were to happen there, do you think that would have any kind of effect on TD? <laughs> I, I have no idea. I mean. Um... Those are the things people ask me about the Swilling brothers. Uh, I don't, you don't know. That's one of those things you have no idea how um, kids are going to react in those situations. But ultimately, what you're looking at is the long term health of your program. And if Paul Johnson feels like it's not working and wants to make a change, then you make a change. People are like, well, he's changed defensive coordinator several times. Paul Johnson's never had the money to hire who he wanted to hire until, mm-hmm. and really, they found money for Ted Roof. And it was because he was Ted Roof. Like, he wasn't given – he was specifically given money pretty much because it was Ted Roof. Like, and right. Some people kind of helped facilitate getting him hired. And that's um, fine, I mean, because they're friends of Ted and they thought it was a good fit. It was certainly – he's done – for whatever you want to say about Ted Roof, he's done a much better job than Dave Womack did or, or Al Groh in terms of defensive coordinator. Um mm-hmm. Definitely. And at times they've – I think that's the part that gets the most frustrating for Paul Johnson and Ted and all of these people because at times you can see the ability. They held Virginia Tech to 15 points, you know, two weeks ago. They have pretty good – they played really lights out in the first half against Miami. Um, they've had their moments. The first half of the Tennessee game they played really well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just they cannot string together a whole game, and I don't know – if he's struggling to make adjustments, his offense make it. I, I don't know enough about. I'm not at practice every day, watching them in practice, watching what they do. I'm not seeing the calls, how they're going in, or what they're installing each week. There's just no way to know that as an outsider. But Paul Johnson knows that. The staff knows that. Todd Stansberry can find out. So that's where I'm curious, kind of what happens here. Um, is it an execution issue on his assistants? Is it a Ted roof problem? I don't know. That's the decision that Paul Johnson's got to make. And people need to support him because the guy's been really successful as your head coach. And at the end of the day, this is not, um, Auburn. It's not Clemson. It's not Florida state. Um, you can't 
go in there and start shuffling guys in and out. And if you start firing people like Paul Johnson, it's going to make the kind of people you would like to attract for that job harder to find. And you're Mm going to have to really dig deep and take a look at people that are going to be a little bit of a project, in my opinion, or you're going to get into retread city, which is a really rough area where you can end up taking mercenary coaches and getting yourself in an ugly situation. And I think in my opinion, you've got to try to make this work with Paul Johnson until the point, absolutely until the point where he doesn't want to work on it, you know? Absolutely. I mean, Paul Johnson's the guy that's going to retire Georgia tech. In my opinion, I don't see him going anywhere as far as like him leaving the program, not on his own terms. Like I feel like if he's going to leave, he's going to want to leave. He's not going to get fired or anything like that. And a lot of people don't realize it, but I mean, other than, like, since Bobby Dodd, he's the most successful coach that Georgia Tech has had, regardless of whether you like his system or not, regardless of whether you think he's a good recruiter or not. He, I mean, he, he consistently, since 2008, has he's, – he's won more football games than any other coach since Bobby Dodd. So, I mean, there's, there's absolutely no denying that. And regardless of what it looks like this season, I mean, we're, we've been a couple plays away from – not even having this conversation. So it's, it's really just kind of frustrating. So, and I think that's part of the frustration that maybe is what's upsetting the fans is you're so close. You're so close to being Virginia. You're so close to knocking Miami off. You're so close to being Tennessee mm-hmm. and it just isn't happening. But what they're forgetting is the two last two wins over UGA, you know, like those moments beating Virginia Tech on a last Exactly, play. and you have to have those moments. Like, I, I mean, of course, no one wants to have a bad year, but it makes a good year is that much sweeter. Like, you go 3-9 and nine in 2015, everybody's calling for his head, get a new coach, all this stuff. Then he bounces back and goes 9-4, and four, goes 3-0 and oh against the SEC in 2016, and everyone loves him again. So it's just it, – it, I just feel like you got to give him more time. I don't like when I see people – you know, calling for his job, saying he's in the hot seat because, you know, things happen. No, and I have, dude, I have media people asking me this, and I'm like, I know most of the boosters, I know most of the people in administration, and I know what they think of Paul Johnson. Right. We have pretty honest relationships, and none of them are think at all, like, they think he's doing a good job. He's at a handicap in a lot of ways because of the way Mike Babinski pinched pennies and Dan Radakovich before him and the facilities mm-hmm. issues they have. And right. the facilities are getting – they're doing each thing kind of block by block, and they're trying to raise money. Todd Stansbury's working on it. They haven't had a grassroots marketing fundraising campaign in years at Georgia Tech that's been Personally, effective. that's one thing I cannot wait for is the new locker rooms. I think that'll be a nice recruiting boost. I mean, obviously, we're a lot farther behind other programs. I mean, dude, they smell. Like, the locker room's smelly, like <laughs> – <laughs> that, that's not stuff that you need. And it's smelly at a point where it's not supposed to be. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you go in there and it's not during the season and the guys aren't working, like, it's got to – and when you go in a nice locker room, it's not like that at another school. And I do those things. I'm someone that can tell you about that because I've been <laughs> in a lot of different college locker rooms and pro locker rooms. And it's just different, man. And that's, that's one of the things that um, – you can control by spending money correctly and not. All you gotta do is buy some Lysol if it smells. <laughs> but I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like it's it's just, and they're they have a manpower issue in terms of recruiting staff, and they need people just to to do the basic things like tour kids and make sure that they're comfortable and be able to build some connections with them because the coaches during the season get very tied up in terms of. 
their game planning and what they're working on. And it, it, you have to have that support staff to keep those relationships up with those recruits when mm-hmm. the coaches are busy or to let the coaches know, Hey, you need to call so-and-so he needs, you know, a little loving right now. Um, whatever. And those are the things that, that they're struggling and trying to add right now. And Stansbury's, I'm telling you, he's literally working on that every day. Like I had a, conversation with someone that's been approached by him in, in the last 24 hours of this podcast to, mm-hmm. to do stuff. So um, they're trying to fix the ship and, you know, it's not an overnight thing. And if you look at the biggest issues right now for them is it's an arms race and Georgia and Clemson have stepped up and Miami stepped up and Georgia Tech hasn't made that move. And so if football is important to you, you have to step up because right now – I just was in Durham, man. Their facilities are in a lot of ways better now. They play in a crap stadium that they've put as much lipstick on as they can, and mm-hmm. no one shows up. But they have a really nice indoor practice facility. They have great stuff all around there. It's The campus is nice, and you got to keep up with the Joneses, man. They have a good, strong recruiting staff. They have a lot of support staff in place for Cutcliffe. And Georgia Tech's lagging behind, and that's – you want to find out why you lose to Duke? That's why you lose to Duke, man. Like, mm-hmm. and like you said, though, I mean, block by block, piece by piece, it, it's coming together. It just with the thing, it, it seems like is just they're they're not willing to pour millions of dollars in at one time to be able to. You well, know, they don't hire. have the money, and that's the kind of issue. Like, they're highly leveraged because of the stuff with the stadium, and then these bad coaching contracts kind of kill the money that you would normally have. Absolutely. So you're paying Paul Hewitt $900,000 a year not to coach. You paid Brian Gregory, whatever, 75 K or whatever it was, 750 K last year or whatever the hell it was. They paid him. Um, Too much. Yeah. So, I mean, think about just that amount of money being able to flip into something else. Plus they've stepped up what they had to do in basketball. So you've increased your expenditures on basketball by hiring Josh Pastner and his staff and fixing things up there. And your revenue's not necessarily going up a whole lot there yet because he's rebuilding. And mm-hmm. that's been something else that's really handcuffed Georgia Tech, and it's something that's not talked about a lot. But the basketball program stinking for six years um, really hurt things. Like the end of Hewitt and then into Brian Gregory, the, hurt, the attendance was down, the income was down. And that was one of the few cash-positive cash sports other than football at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. And... It's one thing that you can kind of, like, kind of take a deep breath and maybe relax a little bit, though. I mean, I know there's been a lot of stuff going on with Passioner, but I mean, his first year was absolutely incredible. They told him he wouldn't win a single game, and no, in I didn't think they'd year. win a game, man. I looked at that team on paper and I laughed. I was like, exactly, who are they going to beat? He, somehow, you know? I mean, they came out and won. What was it, twenty-one games last season? Yeah, so. something like that. So, I mean, there's a lot of really positive things, and I think the biggest thing that Todd brings to Georgia Tech, uh, from talking to people around there, is is a positive mood and um, kind of optimism. And he's always got plans, and he has a whiteboard where he writes stuff down in his office that he'd like to do. And he's always kind of working. He's a dreamer, right? And I mean, that's, that's something you need. Have have. Some vision, yeah. Like, and he right now he needs help executing those dreams, and that's going to be uh, something that he's you know working on as well, like finding people that can help him and making better utilization of the staff around Georgia tech and where to, where you can lean on in the graduates and getting people more involved in terms of former players and alumni and getting them all around back into the program. Cause 
no one's tried to do that since kind of Homer Rice. So it's been a long time, and it's it's time to try to circle the wagons a little bit, and that's something that Clemson does a really nice job of in a lot of other schools is engaging alumni and you can get five dollars from someone and five dollars from here and twenty and five hundred and guess what? Eventually, it adds up to a lot of money, and that's kind of where Absolutely. they are right now. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same way with any other kind of donation. I mean, every little bit adds up, and I, at this point, I feel like every single little bit would be more than welcome, especially for Georgia Tech. No, and you can get yourself out of some of the financial hiccups that they have as well, mm-hmm. and you can keep up in your arms race and. Quite frankly, the biggest thing I'd like to see, and you know, is Paul Johnson embrace the the academic rigors in a different way and treat it like it's the Stanford of the Southeast, and you be like, you know what, we are hard, and we want the best of the best, so we're going to go to Chicago, and we're going to go to D- D.C., and we're going to go to Dallas and raid these mm-hmm. private schools and get kids, and I think you can get a lot more hay versus trying to pick up the kids that aren't getting that aren't infected by negative recruiting and the image that's around the program in the in the state because it's hard man i mean yeah we've talked about that before i mean the farther you go away from georgia the more respect georgia tech has so i mean it's hard to get them around here so like you said you go around you know to the chicago's or you know out there near stanford or wherever and you know go to the private schools go to the kids that are already ready to you know make the grades have already taken some of the classes that they'll have to take at tech you can find yourself being in a really good position. Yeah, and so that's something you have to do. And it takes manpower to recruit nationally on that kind of level the way Stanford does. And it's something they need to embrace because, I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, it's a results-driven business, and the results are not what everyone would like. You don't want to see the ups and downs. You want to see more of a steady climb mm-hmm. with fewer peaks, with higher peaks and fewer valleys, right? That's the complaint right now. So, um, you gotta you gotta do it because at the end of the day, they're not moving Clemson off Georgia Tech's schedule. Miami, Mark Ricks, probably in for a good ten years down there. He's gonna he is a Absolutely. very good football coach. Make no mistake about it. I know the man. I've known the man for seventeen years, almost something like that. And he is a very good football coach. And you know, UGA seems. It'll be interesting to see if Kirby Smart can keep up the momentum, but he seems to be doing a hell of a job at least recruiting and coaching the guys up that he inherited from Mark Rick. So you That's look right. at all of this, man, and it you got you have a lot of things going against you. You're not Virginia playing – God, who's their crossover? Louisville maybe? Um, and, I think so, yeah. I think that's actually pretty – I mean, uh, this is, so this is a great thing to talk about right, right quick here, going into the UGA game. So right now in the ACC, you have um, you have Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. South Carolina, Florida State, and Louisville that play crossover games. Correct? With Georgia Tech, SEC. who was the second one? Then you actually said <clears throat> Clemson. Oh, I you said Clemson. Florida State, Louisville play crossover games. Right. Okay. So. This is sort of where you can get into a weird situation. Now, Pitt this year played Penn State and Oklahoma State. That's very solid, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Miami played Notre Dame, um, and that was it. They played. So this was so like Miami, right? Their their schedule this year compared to Georgia Tech's. On paper, they played Bethune Cookman start the season, right? They played 
they were supposed to play at Arkansas State, got canceled because of the hurricane. Mm-hmm. And they played Toledo and Notre Dame. That's their three crossovers? Yeah. Well, no, no, I'm just saying that's the four game, Out of four conference, conference games. games, yeah. That Oof. was it. That's tough. Georgia Tech played Tennessee. They were supposed to play at Central Florida, which was a top 15 team. And they played uh, um, Georgia this week, So, and then one FCS game. You're not on a level playing field. It's like it's just not like NC. I think NC- I think next season it kind of levels out a little bit more though. I mean, some of the teams are doing a good job. Like NC State played South Carolina and at Notre Dame. Um, yeah, next year it does level out a little bit, but you still. Have I think to play Georgia more so for year. Georgia Tech. You know, got what we have. I think South Florida, Alcorn State. So those are two games that you should definitely win. I mean, North Carolina played Cal. Who's not good at Old Dominion, Notre Dame, and Western Carolina non-conference? Like, yeah, I mean, so, Wake Forest Notre played uh, Presbyterian, Utah State, App State, and Notre Dame. Yeah, so um, it's, <laughs> I mean, you know, you do you know what I'm getting at? Like, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little rough, different, man. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, my favorite one is um, Virginia Tech. They played West Virginia, who's a legit team. They played Delaware at East Carolina, who's god awful, and Old Dominion. Yeah, that's just it. Just doesn't really stack up against you know two SEC teams in one season. That's how it's been for the past couple of years for Tech. You know, they played Vanderbilt last year too. So, I mean, even though it's not necessarily the the powerhouses, you know, the Auburns, Alabamas, whatever of the of the SEC. I mean, you're still it's, it's definitely not Old Dominion. Yeah, so like that's where you get into these weird situations. I mean, um. I'm looking at, like, Syracuse, you know, they played at LSU this year, which should have been a good game. But their three other non-conference games were I don't know, Connecticut, Central Connecticut State, I think, Middle Tennessee, <laughs> and Central Michigan. Like, next year they play at, at Western Michigan, Wagner, UConn, <laughs> and at Notre Dame. I mean, it's just not the same, man, as playing – and they're not playing by the way you know Syracuse isn't playing a crossover game every single year with um you know it's Miami right right i don't think that's their who's their crossover i'm kind of getting lost in my my uh argument here a little bit but um i think we all see your point though by now i mean it's just it's, they it's play not, pit pits their crossover team it's just not the same playing field no, and so that's a whole other thing, man. Like, you get into this thing, and to me, it's just it's an uphill battle, man. You wouldn't be playing, you wouldn't be fighting for your bowl eligibility the last game of the season if you played a season like they were playing. Correct. <coughs> so, I mean, it's just a huge difference there, but it's something that you have to kind of adjust to. And, I mean, I don't want to make an excuse. I mean, you should have beat Tennessee. I mean, Central Florida would have been a game that I would have loved to see. I mean, they turned out to be a really good team, so I feel like that would have been a good one. So, I mean, it, it might have been a good litmus test for the team to have to play a game like that early in the season on the road. And if right. they win it, it might have given them some momentum. Exactly. And who we have? I think we started ACC play after that game. Yeah, so they were so, off, and then they played, I think, Pitt and Carolina after that, and uh, or Carolina and Pitt, and then kind of got rolling, but. 
is one of the things that Paul Johnson talked about a little bit. The the season just you can't get any momentum when you have kind of weird games like that early on. Right, and then you look at it now. At the end of the season, you end up only having eleven games or ten games played. Eleven after Saturday, and you know you're playing for your bowl's ability in your last game because you got a game taken away from you. So I mean, it's unfortunate, but I mean, like I said, there's a lot of games that we left out there this season. So it's something that you know can't really complain about. Should have finished the games. So I guess we'll just. I don't know. We'll see in the future. Hopefully they'll be able to close out those games and we won't have to have this conversation. So let's get into a little bit more about Georgia real quick. And then uh, we're going to bring on Roddy Nabalsi, who's a really old friend of mine who covers UGA sports. Uh, my former colleague when I worked there many, many moons ago. And um, we'll talk, we'll kind of delve into the UGA side of things uh, with him. But um, kind of what are your expectations for Saturday, Jared? Uh, you know, kind of just like we said earlier, I, I I don't have a lot of expectations, and that's kind of how I am every year with this game. Anything can happen. I mean, I feel like every time, other than 2014, I, I truly feel like Georgia Tech was a better team that season. But I mean, however, you can you can definitely argue that Georgia was better in 2008. Georgia Tech was absolutely the better team in 2009 and lost. The years after that were you know kind of dominated by Georgia until 2013 and and then so from that point forward I mean it's been one possession ball game so I as far as expectations go I, I can't really make too much of a prediction other than you know I feel like if Tech's gonna win it's gonna be a close game and I feel like if Georgia wins it could be you know another 2012 yeah and uh, that's where it gets interesting to me I mean that's the the sort of fascinating part about rivalry games you saw it on uh thanksgiving night with the egg bowl you had old mess who has been terrible all year and in the second third series of the game nick fitzgerald breaks his foot or whatever his foot's yep. turned backwards and uh <laughs> and they did not take the camera off it for about 30 seconds yeah i did go back i actually didn't see what happened i went back and i was like oh my wife was sitting there with me. She's like, why did you rewind that? Like, yeah, they, they kept it on there. They made sure everyone saw. And, um, yeah, so, you know, anything can happen in these games. That's kind of the beauty of them. Um, unless you're Virginia Tech and Virginia, who've lost 13 straight in their, in their series. But, um, you know, that's, that's sort of the beauty of this thing. And, Georgia certainly is not – they're not playing the way they were before Auburn beat them around. So that Absolutely. that's the one thing you can kind of point to. And even even in the Virginia Tech game, I mean – sorry, not the Virginia Tech game. I don't even know where that came from. But even the, in the Kentucky game last week that they played in, they came out slow. I mean, it was like 21 to 13 until, you know, I guess it was maybe like a long Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle run that just kind of opened up the floodgates for them. But – I mean, if you can keep your foot on the gas and, you know, keep them in a close game, I don't. there's no doubt in my mind that Georgia Tech will win. For the love of God, will Ted Roof put eight guys in the box and, like, dare them to throw the football? Like, eh. I would rather That's see one Jake Fromm that, throw for 300 yards on Saturday than – Absolutely. I don't want to get ran all over. That's the last thing I want because, we, I mean, we, talk, we talked about this. You talked about it with the players. They run the ball just as much as we do, basically. And Auburn – sold out on the run. I, obviously, what they hold them to, like 40 yards, obviously that's not going to happen. 
Auburn's got a be- just an overall better defense, one of the best defenses in the country. So, you I mean, you don't want to ex- expect to do anything like that. However, you do want to see them, like you said, stack eight in the box, sell out to stop the run, make a true freshman make plays in a rivalry game that he has no experience playing in, and see if see if he can beat you. Yeah, and they've had a lot of luck, by the way, playing quarterbacks for the first time in the series. I, I feel like if you go back, I remember – um, you know, Eason last year they had Hudson Mason uh, struggled in his game in twenty. Was he in twenty? Hudson Mason was twenty thirteen actually. That was the 20, yeah, in the game that went to overtime. Yeah, they lost in Atlanta. He struggled. Yeah, but even in that game, Georgia Tech got out to a twenty to nothing start, fueled by Jamea Thomas intercepting Hudson Mason. So, I mean, it's just you got you got to make a, a true freshman that has no experience playing in a big time game like that. At Bobby Dodd, especially, you got to make him make the plays. I mean, I don't care what I don't care if the kid has complete ice in his veins. Nobody's ready for that. It's a rivalry game. He's he's going to be shaking in his shoes. I sure hope so, at least. So I, I really hope to see Ted Roof, you know, selling out to stop the run. And I think that if if they do and they do it effectively, then you could definitely see Georgia Tech win the game. Yeah, and you know, stranger things have happened, man. I mean, that's absolutely that's. That's sort of the the mo that I'm taking into this. I don't expect them to win. If Georgia Tech wins, that would be something else. That it would be another great notch in the rivalry. Georgia Tech will have won three of four over Georgia and snapped the long losing streak in Atlanta. So, um, and that's something that I just cannot wait to be over. We always talk about we won two in a row in Athens, but then you think about it, they've won since 2000 in Atlanta. So it's just. You see, feet, and you get to see people rush the field, which uh, you, Georgia. No, I'm saying if Georgia Tech wins, you would get to see the. Fans oh, absolutely! Rush the field. Yeah, I'll be the first one out there. <laughs> um, even if it's somehow not, you know, a last minute thing, I still think you would see people rush the field. Uh, Definitely, especially absolutely. after the frustrating season they've had this year. But I don't know. We'll see what happens, and we'll we'll come back and recap it next week for you for sure. And. Um, Let's. We're gonna go now and, and switch gears and talk to Mel Friendright and Bossy, and we'll you get to learn a little bit about me and my background, and I'll tell some weird stories from back when I covered UGA a little bit at times. Is we just kind of had all over the place conversation, and he gives a lot of insight on kind of what's gone on with Kirby Smart in the last year from losing to Georgia Tech and how that's kind of stirred a lot of what's gone on for them uh, in terms of uh, kind of upping the ante and. and upping the ante in the rivalry again and uh the the fact that when your rival beats you two times out of three um you tend to get it turns guess what it turns back into a rivalry after their fans didn't think it was for a few years so absolutely it's beautiful it is beautiful yeah so uh thanks jared and uh we'll be back with roddy and joining us now is roddy nabulsi the publisher of ugasports.com and an old friend of mine and former colleague and coworker and many other things. Uh, we've known each other a long time, Roddy. And this is a, a, a tough part of the year for people who are in the mixed families. There's a few around Atlanta, but uh, it's old-fashioned hate. And obviously with Tech winning two of the last three, uh, I, I can't imagine there's any thoughts of Georgia overlooking them this week with uh, either Alabama or Auburn on the horizon for the SEC championship. No, and uh, considering that they've already seen Auburn, you know, they've there's no uh, mystery as to what they would get were Auburn to uh, win the Iron Bowl this weekend. Uh, 
Kirby Smart already said that, you know, he his grad assistants and everyone has broken down that game where Georgia absolutely got pounded, you know. So uh, they know what they're getting from Auburn. And they've already broken down the Alabama tape. So, the you know, the graduate assistants and the, you know, the analysts, as they call them, those guys have already broken down everything. So those people may have been looking ahead, but the players themselves, the immediate coaching staff, they are not looking past Georgia Tech. Kirby Smart, I don't want to say he hates Georgia Tech, but he, I mean, he played against them. He knows how big the rivalry is. As a senior, he lost to Tech. And, you know, in his first year losing to Tech, just set a very bad taste in his mouth. So much so that even though uh, last year, you know, they worked on Tech during the bye week and the, uh, you know, preseason camp and stuff like that, they've changed it. This year, Georgia not only worked on, you know, stopping Tech, you know, that uh, flex bone and such uh, on in spring camp. They also did it in fall camp. And then we found out uh, Monday that in every Monday practice Georgia's had this week, they've had a Tech period where they basically have the scout team run, you know, try to run that option. And it, you know, helps the scout team get better because those guys don't know how to do it like, you know, Georgia Tech does. But, you know, they can at least try to get better doing it each week. And, you know, the defense tries to stop them each week. So it just to uh, get acclimated to trying to face, you know, the the uh, Paul Johnson monster. They've been working on it every week this year. So, yeah, they're not overlooking Tech at all. They've been working on Tech every week so far. You know, and it's it's been a very weird season for Georgia Tech. They've been up and down, and they've been a different team at home than they've been on the road. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to, to see all this unfold. Georgia obviously has a lot to play for. And then Tech's put themselves in a terrible position where they have to win a game to go to a bowl. So you got a lot right. Both teams are basically playing for their essentially – I don't want to call it playoff, but basically that's what it is. You're trying to keep yourself, yep. in Georgia's case, the real playoffs. And for Georgia Tech is to get another game for their seniors, get a bowl game, get that bowl trip, the bowl gifts, all those things that people love so much. And a lot of schools kind of take for granted these days. You know, you look at, like, Florida State's now kind of fighting to try and get theirs, keep their bowl streak alive. I think Virginia Tech and a couple other teams are still in Georgia, have bowl streaks right now. And, um you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because, it, to me, when I look at this, Roddy, I, it's either Georgia's going to beat the tar out of them or it's going to be a classic kind of game like most of these have been since Paul Johnson got there where it's down to the last possession or two of the game, the fourth quarter, it's tight, and someone pulls away. Because that's kind of what I see. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe maybe it's through my gold lens of covering Georgia Tech. What do you see? No, I definitely see a situation where you could have it either or. I mean, Georgia does have the capability. I mean, you saw what they did to Kentucky last week after they got humiliated at uh, Auburn. You know, they they took it to the Wildcats pretty heavily, rushed for, I mean, um, picked up over 500 yards rushing. Uh, I think the uh, poor Sony Michelle was the tailback with the lowest yards per carry at, you know, a mere 7.24 <laughs> yards a carry. So, I mean, uh they could wear down a defense, and they've been doing this all year to everybody but one team. They've worn down every team, and by the end of the game, you know they're calling uh, 10, 12 straight runs, and uh, they, you're just you're just gasping for breath at that point. But I don't know that it works for tech against tech. You know the the Yellow, Yellow Jackets have so much on the line, and their players, you know, I, I don't want to say they. they 
teams hate each other, but but they don't like each other. Sure. And as you say, it comes down to saving Tech's season and continuing Georgia. Georgia's in the middle of a special season. They win this game. They're eleven and one. You know, going into the SEC championship with the possibility of making the playoffs in year two under Kirby Smart. You've got a bunch of guys that came back for their senior year. They could have gone to the NFL. And so they've got a lot riding on this. And I know the Tech guys would love to spoil that. But as you say, uh, if Tech wins this, you know, they prolong their season by a month. They get all that bowl swag, you know. It's it's a big deal. And Georgia, by the uh, flip side, would love to end it for Tech. They'd love to give Tech a losing season and keep them from going to a bowl. That The seniors would be grinning ear to ear and they'd, there'd be no end to it. So uh, just because of the emotions in this game, and the fact that <laughs> I, I, I will give Paul Johnson credit for this, you may not have the better athletes, but you've got a system that is a huge equalizer. And when it comes down to effort and when it comes down to discipline, uh, Georgia has shown some problems on uh, defense when it comes to eye discipline. And they get caught looking inside sometimes and they get caught uh, farming someone else's row instead of staying in their own lane. And that's come back to bite them a few times. The defense has been great, but they're, they have been susceptible to runs. We saw that at uh, Auburn with Kerryon Johnson with just gashing them up the middle. And I think about that fullback dive just being effective. And uh, Benny Snell at Kentucky, he was able to run the ball pretty well, almost had 100 yards against Georgia. Uh, there have been times where Georgia's interior run defense has been weak. And uh, t- uh, Tech does so well when it gets to the edges. And, you know, Georgia has some small cornerbacks out there. And, and granted, they do have Roquan Smith the, and, and the inside linebacker who's all over the place. But, you know, if you can get away from Roquan and uh, you need the Georgia starts to get a little lazy and you pat and throw a big pass on them because we've seen that happen where uh, Auburn did it wonderfully. You know, it's like carry on Johnson up the middle, carry on Johnson up the middle, carry on Johnson up the middle. Oh, by the way, here's a pass for 35 yards. And I'm not saying that it will happen, but I'm saying the, the possibility is there. So I agree with your uh, premise that this could either be a very uh, a blowout where Georgia says, look, we're not going to let tech on the field. We're going to run the ball continuously we're going to have 11 12 play drives and just run up the score and make it so the tech has to throw uh, when they do get the ball back or georgia does what it has done in the past where you know let gives up the interior uh can't stop the run and they just don't get on the field very much and paul johnson's going to be out there doing his thing where he watches your cornerbacks and your safety and your linebackers and sees where they're looking and sees the mistakes they make and takes advantage of them so i'm not going to predict a blowout but uh the possibility exists. Yeah, it's one of those weird things. And it's funny to me, too, because the way these teams have been playing, we could see a six, seven possession total. Yep. I'm saying both teams in each half. Like, I mean, you may, there may be 11, 12, 13 possessions in the whole game, the way the two teams run the football. And it's kind of interesting because in, Georgia runs in a different way, but in the same style, they're trying to control the ball and then occasionally yep. make big plays. Tech does the same thing in terms of maybe it's not as much in the past. You know, Fromm's had a pretty good year at times when they've wanted him to throw the football, but and they've been able to make plays there. But the run game, it gives you dynamic plays. They're kind of mirrors of each other in that way. Georgia just is so much better on defense. That's where I think the, the big difference is to me because the way this Georgia Tech defense is played, I mean – they, I, I think Duke's still stro- scoring touchdowns on them right now in the, in the shadows of the stadium from uh, last weekend. So there's no telling to, you know, there's no telling what's going to happen as you watch 
the the season kind of this this all kind of ride on this moment for Georgia Tech and can their guys rise up to it? Were they just playing down at Duke last week? Is it the team that's you know because they played Miami well, they played Clemson actually pretty well. Um, you know, Clemson's been the team that's really had their number in terms of Brent Venables probably has the best plan and they have a really nasty defensive line and that kind of works. But it's curious that Georgia's got – they certainly – their front seven's as good as anyone in the country. So I wonder kind of what's going to happen, what's the tipping point here. And, uh, you know, what I'll be curious about too is how, what Kirby Smart does differently to attack with his second go around facing this and kind of how he chooses what kind of front he goes with is if he's, is he going to bring another defensive lineman in? Do they play four linebackers? Are they going to play four, eight in the box? I mean, nine in the box. I'm curious kind of what your thoughts are on that. Well, I think they're definitely going to bring somebody up and uh, they do have so many defensive linemen, you know, they could, they could run four across and switch them out. And we started seeing this last year where, you know, they would, bring in they was, it, it looked like a hockey goal i mean a hockey line change i mean they were running three and four different uh, linemen out onto the field play after play after play so that these guys were fresh uh i could definitely see a situation where they're doing something like that they're running their four you know they uh bring out the another linebacker put them on the edge just to say look um i and i think it would be a, a decent uh, scheme to say, look, we want uh, Taquan Marshall to beat us through the air. We're going to take away the run. We're going to take away the edges. You know, we've been weak in the middle the last two weeks. We're going to shore that up with John Jenkins. I mean, uh, it's going to be John Atkins, you know, and uh, uh, Marshall. Okay, you guys, y'all have got the middle. Here's our guys on the edges. You know, we're going to put bring in a bigger uh, cornerback. Maybe let's say Tariq McGee instead of uh, you know five foot nine Malcolm Parrish, sure. and we're going to take away the run. And if you're going to beat us through the air, we're going to leave one safety up, and he's not going to be very high. You know, we, they they love to bring a that even that high safety in really close to the box, and say, look, you know, Marshall, you got to go to the air to beat us. You know, and uh, I definitely see a situation where they try doing that. So uh, again, I don't want to get into Kirby Smart's head because, I mean, I've made predictions like that have been wrong. You know, they come out and uh, I've seen <laughs> they, uh, when I think they're going to nickel and they're going to bring out, bring in an extra uh, defensive back, they actually bring in a, another linebacker, you know, and I'm sitting there scratching my head and then sure enough, it works out, you know, <laughs> but there have been times where I'm like, why did they do that? And everyone else is scratching their head too. So uh, Kirby and Mel Tucker, they're going to do it their way, but I just thought it was fascinating that they've been working on this all year long. Yeah, and it shows, you know, it's one of those things that people downplay, but at the end of the day, rivalries are rivalries. And whether it's Georgia-Auburn, which has gotten nastier over the last few years, um, at least from when you or I were in school, probably. And um, and then you got, you know, Florida-Georgia. And that's the one that kind of reminds me the most of this series over the last you know, 20 years or so where one team kind of had much more of an edge statistically in terms of wins, but the games were close. Florida had an edge over Georgia for a long period of time. And, you know, ultimately I think if you gave Paul Johnson truth serum, he would tell you if he wins one out of three games against Georgia, that's, that's doing a hell of a job. So, you know, I think he's, he's right at where he should be in terms of performance against them. But, yeah, I imagine those guys are pissed after what happened last year. I mean, they went into their house again and beat them again. And, um, you know, that's going to be tough. And there's so much going on, and you have such high expectations. And 
Georgia went out and laid an egg against a good Auburn team. And so now you've got to reset things. You've got to try to build your momentum. And I'm sure that's what Kirby is talking to them about right now because you want to have momentum going into the SEC championship because uh, it's going to be a tough game no matter who you play. And then if you get into the playoffs, that's a whole other can of worms because you don't know even who your matchups are. Though secretly, if Georgia makes it, I'm you know pulling for Georgia-Miami because I think that would be – probably the funniest thing of all time to have those two teams play each other just from an outside observer who knows all of the people involved i imagine for you that might might be a like a little bit of a hellish situation if they played mark richt in the playoffs oh no i, I think it'd be a great storyline and be fun to watch and plus i mean i'd love to see the a matchup between that miami team and this georgia team you know i think it'd be a, a fun game uh the orange bowl people were in um uh, Sanford Stadium this past week, and I've got a gut feeling, and uh, I think it's well backed up that were Georgia to lose the SEC championship, the first invite they will get will be from the Orange Bowl committee. So they'd head down to Miami for a uh, December 30th uh, game, and what if uh, Miami gets to the ACC championship and loses? You know, so they're not in the playoffs. Well, That's true, yeah. Miami's got, I mean, Miami's right there. They the Orange Bowl would love to have them. It'd be a national story. So, and of course, a lot of people would, you know, read into it the Rick versus uh, Kirby thing. But I, I don't know that I would see it that way. I mean, Mark Rick has done fantastic at Miami. He's brought that program around. Almost the exact same thing he did at Georgia. He took a program that had been historically good, but had fallen on down times and picked it up. So he did that at Georgia. He did it here, and then uh, Kirby has taken a Mark Rick team that had gotten stale, and he's revitalized it, and he's built on what. Kirby, I mean, what Mark Richt had done. So, um, I mean, if you, a lot of people like to give Kirby a lot of credit, and as well he should. I mean, he's recruiting at a level you and I have never seen at the University of Georgia. Sure. Uh, he's got some great players, and the, you look at some of the guys, how they've progressed in the last two years, it's been lights out. I mean, I just saw that uh, Georgia's offensive line is up for an award as one of the top seven offensive lines in the nation. This was a team I thought, the offensive line I thought maybe be worse than last year. So, uh, Sam Pittman and those guys have turned it around. But at the same time, you know, it's a, it's, it's a Kirby Smart team now, and he's doing it with a lot of Mark Ricks players. You know, when you look at the, the, those offensive linemen that are manning it, there's only one freshman on there. The other guys are, you know, uh, uh, well, Solomon Kinley, but he's been replaced recently on the line. But a lot of those guys were here thanks to Mark Rick. So, uh, and again, people would get caught up in the storyline, but would, how that compares to this weekend, that's not a possibility if Georgia loses. All no, of a sudden, now there were two losses, yeah, so they've got yeah. to have this game. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the funny part of it because if they lose to Georgia Tech, I think that unless they – I think the only thing that can happen there, if you – say if Georgia loses the next two games, they lose to Georgia Tech and then fall in the SEC championship game, they're going to, what, the Georgia Dome or the whatever, Mercedes, to play in the yeah. Peach Bowl probably and to play maybe UCF or USF or – like Memphis, I mean, that's going to be a pretty big come down for. Well, not only that, Kelly. Look at it this way: all of a sudden, you lose to Tech, you, and then you lose SEC championship game. Okay, you went nine and three. It was better than eight and five, you know. And you were number one at one point, but the narrative would be: well, wait a minute. Okay, your real big game you had this year. You won Notre Dame by a point. Congratulations, you know. And you beat Mississippi State. That was that. In hindsight, that uh, win is looking better and better all the time. Uh, but when you played a really good team like Auburn, you got beat. When you played Georgia Tech, who you lost to last year, you, you're, you're playing a five and five. Uh, 
Yellow Jacket team. You lost to them. So you've lost to uh, Georgia Tech, you know, 0-2 versus them. Plus, when you played another good team, say it's Alabama, you lost to them. So out of your uh, – yeah, sure, you beat Tennessee and Florida, but those teams are both replacing their coaches. Yeah. So it would hurt Kirby's – I don't know, uh, bona fides sure. if, if that uh, scenario were to play out. I don't see it happening. Uh, no, I, I think, think that's unlikely as well. I yeah. mean, but at the same time, you know, and he, they're getting better and better, but there would be that, oh, my God, he can't coach. That narrative would come around. And as we've seen this year, he can coach. I, I tell you, the, the funniest thing, though, the funniest thing that we noticed uh, doing some running some numbers the other day, right now Georgia's running the ball 69% of the time. Wow. 69%. If you – that is – uh, That's like Vince Dooley level running. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Yeah, that is the sixth highest percentage in the FCS, which I think is very, uh, very interesting. It's going to be FBS. So I think the most interesting thing above that is the five teams ahead of Georgia and the two teams behind Georgia all run the flex bone. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably Army, Navy, Georgia Tech, and then like Willie Fritz at Tulane and probably like some other modified version of that, Air Force or something. Yeah, exactly. So it's all the it's Georgia Tech, the, the academies, and all the people that run the Flexbone. So Georgia is actually almost middle of the pack with the Flexbone uh, offenses in how much it runs the ball, 69%. Now, granted, a lot of that is because, you know, Georgia's been up, you know, uh, 42 to 13 on sure, the team. Yeah. They're running it out, but uh, so if you look when Georgia's within seven points, either behind or ahead of somebody, the spread is not nearly so wild. They're running the ball about fifty-eight to forty-two percent, but uh, once they get ahead, they just pound it down, you know, down their throat. But I just—it's funny when you you mentioned earlier about how these two teams are similar. I'm like, yeah, yeah, even down to how much they run it. And granted, when you got Nick Chubb, who's now he's number two behind Herschel Walker at Georgia, he's a top five in all time when it comes to SEC running backs. I mean, he's in the top five of, of all time. And Sony Michelle is in the top five of Georgia. Uh, Nick has 4,000 yards. Sony Michelle has over 3,000 yards wow. combined. I mean, uh, yeah, they combined, they have over 7,000 yards together, you know, and that's sharing carries. Can't imagine what, if like one of them was getting 24 pops a game, but, um, and as a team, uh, Georgia's averaging 5.8 yards a carry. And the fans, and the reason I, I bring all that up is talking about the, the narratives around Kirby Smart right now, the fans are like, well, why don't they trust Jake Fromm to throw it? Why aren't they throwing it? They, You saw what happened with Auburn when Georgia just tried to run it. You know, they're, they're too predictable. And their fans are still upset because they're just worried that you're going to have another Auburn game ahead because – they don't think that uh, the coaches trust Jake Fromm, which is not true. The coaches do trust him. It's just when you're averaging 5.8 yards a carry, why the hell would you throw it? Well, There's two the, bad things that can happen. Yeah, that's the old <laughs> adage, and that's why Paul Johnson doesn't like to throw the ball either. Yeah, it's, yeah I mean, basically, well, there's three because you can get sacked, too. You can throw any completion, yeah. you can throw a pick, or you complete the pass. And at the end of the day, if you are running the ball and inflicting your will – it's also um, a psychological advantage, and that's one of the reasons why I think Paul Johnson likes to run the football as well, is when you hold the ball and hold the clock, invariably it happens, and I've seen this in 10 years covering this, teams panic and they do things yep. that are stupid. And that happened last year with with UGA uh, at the end of the game when they're trying to run the clock out. and Yeah, it adds a ton of pressure to it because all, now all of a sudden when your offense does get back out there, you're like, geez, uh, even if, you know, uh, Tech had to punt, they ran 11 plays, you know, they punted. Your defense has been out there for five minutes. If you go three and out, then you're putting your defense right back out there. So everyone on the offense hurries up. 
You know, and if you can run the ball like that, say even not 5.8, let's say you're just getting 4.8 or four yards a carry. Mm-hmm. You're, you keep the ball. You have fewer turnovers. You know, you're scoring. You're averaging 35 points a game. So no turnovers. You're keeping their offense off the field. Uh, you're controlling the clock. I'm like, why wouldn't you do it? But a lot of fans are just worried that uh, Georgia can't throw it. And and I go back to the last two times, uh, South Carolina and I think uh, uh, maybe Florida or somebody. Yeah, uh, Florida, uh, where the opposing defensive players called out uh, Jake Fromm and said, well, he only throws slants or Georgia can't throw the ball. And both times he lit him up. I mean, the kid can throw. You've, you've seen him in camp. You know, we've you've covered him as well. Uh, the kid knows what he's doing. So well, Yeah, and you know. I, it's interesting to me because Paul Johnson, one of the points he's made twice already this week is that when he looks at Georgia on film, the thing that kind of impresses him that no one's talked about is actually how Fromm's played and how well he's handled the workload. And that, you know, they aren't asking him to do a ton of things, but when they ask him to do something, he's able to execute it at a high level. And when you have a young quarterback, that's what you're going to do. You don't need to have him throw the ball 30 times. It doesn't help him. What you want to do is make him – put him in a situation where he can make plays for you, right? And at the end of the day, George is probably going to have him and and the Fields kid playing next year, both. So you're going to have two younger quarterbacks. You're going to have an offense that's going to be run heavy just – by nature of that, like you're not Washington state, you know, stay within your identity. And he's a believer of the same thing that Nick Saban is, which is if you run the football, you win, it wins games. Basically, if you can do that successfully, Alabama doesn't throw because they have to, they only throw because they have to in situations when they can run the ball, they run the ball. And that's any great coach will do that. Like that I've been around other than if you're Mike Leach and that's not your identity, you know? Exactly. What's funny. I was, when I was looking up those numbers about what they average per rush, you know, that 5.8, I think that's gotta be tops in the sec. <laughs> it's not Alabama runs at six yards a carry. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, so <it's> like, <laughs> well, Georgia looks good, but Alabama of course looks better. And that's why the tides 11 and one. And that's why actually, you know, people keep asking me, you think Auburn's going to knock them off. I'm like, I don't know that Auburn can. Yeah, they they could. They did that to Georgia. They had a perfect storm. I don't know that Alabama makes the same dumb mistakes that Georgia did. And you know, and you know, I'm a big believer in the recruiting rankings. I mean, I'm not saying we get them all right, but when you look at a team that signs the number one recruiting class, I guarantee you, in three or four years, they will be in the top five somewhere down the line. You know, and when you sign the number one recruiting class back to 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 back, eventually you are going to be the number one team in the nation just because you get the better players mm-hmm. and we could be wrong with uh, a lot of our prognostications on where these kids are going to wind up, but we're not wrong on every one of them. Yeah. You know, when we tell you that, you know, Najee Harris is going to be a heck of a running back. Well, guess what? He's going to be, you know, now granted he's injured. Alabama's got a lot of injuries going on right now, but I don't know that uh, they've lost enough players that they weren't able to replace him with other five-star guys. So, uh, Auburn's going to have a great chance to knock off Alabama this weekend, but Alabama's still Alabama. And until somebody beats them, I'm going to keep picking them. And uh, for Georgia and Kirby Smart to have the uh, run that they're hoping to have, they got to win this weekend against uh, Georgia Tech and you know stop that uh, uh, narrative of forming, you know, being 0-2 under Smart against Georgia Tech. And then they're going to have to win some of these games against the Auburns and Alabamas of the world. And that's going to pick up an already hot uh, recruiting trail for him. And I think George is on the, on the brink of, you know, really doing something special, but you know, you still got to win the games. 
Well, and they've been close. I mean, I guess it was 2012. Yeah. You know, they're two yards shy or whatever it was of, you know, beating Alabama. And so, you know, it, it's interesting to me that um, they've, done, you know, converted so quickly. And, you know, to me, something else that I think about, too, with Georgia is if you want to continue this run, you know, next year they have a soft schedule. And um, most of their tough games are at home. And then their non-conference schedules pretty lousy like and so you kind of need to carry some momentum from this year into next year too because you're gonna have a little more of an uphill fight there if you're again as good as they've been this year and maybe they'll step back maybe they won't that's one of those weird things too where you kind of look at there must have been someone that pulled out of a game with georgia next year i'm guessing was it louisville or someone they were supposed to play I can't remember, but yeah, the Georgia had like three different opponents in a row that backed out, you know, and I think one was a situation where Georgia uh, didn't like the weekend that it was on. It was a mute by mutual agreement, but then there were a couple of situations where I think uh, they had Oregon lined up to play and a couple other teams that, that just fell through. So, yeah, when you're scrambling and trying to find teams, it's uh, the home folks are left with some crappy games, you know, and I mean, they had like Samford this year and, uh, App oh State. God. App State. Now, App State has at least once, you know, had a, a big game, and they've won a lot of games in their conference. But, yeah, there have been the, – the the Georgia fans are not exactly happy with the home schedule. And uh, I don't know that you're doing yourself a bunch of favors by playing, you know, Samford's of the world. Well, no, and I think it, if, if you're going to be on elite level, they need to do probably what Nick Saban does, which is he plays one of those weird neutral site games at the beginning of the year every year. So you play Michigan or – Florida State or whoever it is, and maybe that's what they yeah, need to look at. Yeah, that's what Georgia did this year, you know. I mean, even though it wasn't even a, a neutral site game. They went up to Notre Dame, Notre Dame and they'll have yeah. them again in 19, you know. But I definitely see a situation where Georgia, and I've heard about this, you know, they're looking at maybe some of those uh, kickoff classics, you know, yeah, the Georgia yeah. Dome and stuff like that. So instead of having, you know, letting Alabama come and play on a Thursday night to start the season or, you know, play on a Saturday night in the uh, uh, Mercedes-Benz Dome, why not let the home team do it, you know? Well, it's so. funny because they don't seem to give a damn about what the matchup is. I mean, hell, one of the years is Alabama-Duke. I think it might be next year they're playing. And I was like, oh, who the hell's going to watch that other than Alabama fans? I mean, they can't get 4,000 people to show up for a Duke football game in, in Durham. How are they going to get, you know, sell their half of the stadium or whatever? It's just funny to me because I don't think it even matters who you play. You know, if you play Cal or whoever, like, I think people just like seeing teams. And it's something that I enjoy, and I'm sure you do as well as a reporter, when you get an opportunity to go, like, I, um, you go into Notre Dame, like you mentioned. I, I'd made that trip two years ago. Or, um, you know, next year I'll go to Tampa. They'll play South Florida or up to Temple or in Philadelphia. Or just going to places that you haven't been, like, instead of the same old places, going to Starkville yeah. and going to – Lexington, Lexington's lovely, but uh, Knoxville or, God, Columbia, South Carolina. I mean, that's the one thing uh, I don't miss about covering the SEC, Rodney. (laughs) There's a lot of bad road trips. I mean, I enjoy – Auburn people are very lovely, but I've never enjoyed the drive to Auburn or – Columbia was always the worst one, South Carolina, because it it was always storming every year they played them because it was in September and it would be in hurricane season. And invariably, like I think three straight years when they played there, they had weather delays and 
I mean, that's the stuff that I don't miss from covering that thing. And I get to go to Miami every other year now. I go, you know, other than Clemson, which Clemson's fine. It's not a long drive. But the rest of them are pretty nice trips because you're in major cities. And every once in a while I get to go to a Boston or, um, you know, I go to Chapel Hill and Durham every other year. Um, so, I, yeah, that's, I guess, the one kind of advantage. I don't get to sit in a state. There's no uh, Neyland Stadium kind of situations. Virginia Tech and Clemson are the only ones like that in the ACC, really. But um, it is fun to, to go to these different cities and, you know, go down to Miami and go walk around on the beach and do that kind of thing. Yeah, the fans like it, too. I mean, when they had a chance to go someplace new, I mean, they invaded South Bend like nobody's business, you know. They all went to Chicago. We got up there on Thursday, and we were late. I mean, they were already uh, Georgia fans everywhere all over Chicago. I mean, they took over a Cubs game. Uh, it was unreal <laughs> was to hear them call out the dogs, you know, when, uh, inside uh, the stadium there. And, uh, you know, Wrigley Field just being absolutely loaded with red, you know, wearing screaming dog fans. I mean, those Cubs people were nervous they're like what the hell's going on are we being invaded and uh it was it was chaos but the fans loved it you know they had such a good time and i'm like look you know uh, uh when they went out to arizona state georgia fans flocked out there when they went to colorado same thing i'm like if you give them someplace interesting to go this team will travel like crazy and if they wind up going to the orange bowl you can see a ton of fans down in miami so uh, I'm with you there. I'd like to see them schedule some better teams, but the problem is, you know, once those things are scheduled, it takes you years to kind of bring them back around. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I missed the – I just missed by, I think, a year going out to Colorado, maybe it was, the Georgia or Arizona State, one of those places. But, um, yeah, that that's one of those things that's cool when you have one of those trips. And the funniest thing from watching afar is very, very entertaining on Twitter and stuff, watching – the UGA stuff go down with uh, with um, Notre Dame. And I, my favorite part, of course, is when they went to troll Brian Kelly, who I think is kind <laughs> of an asshole. They, they went and trolled him in uh, in his own radio show, which is – that was kind of a, a – that was kind of almost a rivalry level kind of uh, a trolling situation. Well, they're just showing them basically, hey, look, if you know, if you want to do a public radio show on Thursday before, uh, you know, a big game like that, this is what we do in the SEC. We're going to come crash your radio show. And at least they waited till he was off the air. You know, that, that, that part didn't show. A lot of people thought that he did it. Oh, wrong. it was. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's funny. Yeah, they waited till he was yeah. off the air. And then they uh, called the dogs where he could hear. And he's kind of looking over at him, waving to him. And uh, I'm like, wow. I can't take you people anywhere. Well, you know, it's funny to me when people talk about Georgia Tech and Georgia. I, to me, it's not anywhere close to, like, the level of animosity of some other rivalries. I think about, and right now in this day and age, you think about Mississippi State and Ole Miss, and you literally have someone covering Mississippi State, like, going and trying to get the head coach fired at Ole Miss. I mean – we don't see that. Like it's not <laughs> that tense, like between these two teams. It, it put, and you know, the NCAA, I think is literally holding back their findings release and the sanctions on Ole Miss until after the egg bowl. Like they were supposed to release them two weeks ago, I think. And they've just decided to wait because they were concerned about player safety for the egg bowl. So I, I think to me, like, I, I think they got to step up their game a little bit, Georgia tech and Georgia to get to that level of where you're like, you know, hey, I saw Kirby Smart talking to a kid in a high school and ratting it. You know what I mean? Like, you, we don't see any of that, and I think that's pretty funny that um, there are some, even with schools that aren't anywhere near as successful as either Georgia Tech or, or Georgia, 
that 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 the level of hatred gets to such a level. Yeah, but I mean, if that's the only thing in your state, and that's the only thing you got to look forward to, then it takes on that thing, you know, because you can sit next to a Georgia. I mean, and I think stuff like the, you know, the uh, children's health care classics where, you know, Georgia and Georgia Tech fans you know, go to uh, the stadium and play baseball with each other, you know, sure. you're sitting beside them. Yeah, there's still the, the hate, but you're still kind of Atlantans, you know, you're still kind of Georgians. But man, uh, if you're Auburn or Alabama, if you're Mississippi or Mississippi State, you know, uh, some of those rivalries, you know, uh, LSU, I mean, uh, Clemson or South Carolina, you know, yeah, the, you're trying to get coaches fired and hiring prostitutes and sending them over to recruits' houses <laughs> and blaming the other's team, you know. I mean, there's some uh, sixth and seventh level garbage going on in some of those rivalries, but I not to say that Georgia fans are any uh, more polite than Mississippi or, you know, uh, Auburn fans. It's just that, uh, I don't know that they can get to that sort of hatred because it's too easy to be distracted by the Hawks or the Falcons, or the Braves or yeah. something else that's going on, you know, Hey, Hey, let's, uh, let's go catch your catch a show in Atlanta, you know, or let's, let's go do something down in Macon, you know, Warner Robins, let's go down to the coast instead of, uh, let's see what's going on in Oxford, you know, and see what kind of mischief we can create over there. Let's go poison <laughs> some trees, you know, down in, uh, down on the plains. So we don't, we don't kind of see that second, third, you know, sixth, seventh level hatred amongst the Georgia and Georgia tech crowd. But I don't know, come Saturday, man, if you were to give them all knives and guns and pipes and chains and just let them go to the parking lot. And yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have some tremendous stories from when I was in school with friends getting into fights that were in pet bands, Georgia <laughs> and Georgia tech pet bands getting, but my favorite one that I witnessed was a Georgia, Georgia tech intramural hockey fight. Um, where my buddy who was an announcer for the hockey team ended up getting in the fight as well. He ran down to the ice and got uh, got on the field. Our our mutual friend, Mike Tingle, and mixed it up. Um, Oh, my God, Mike. I didn't know that story about him. I can't wait to bug him about it. He has a Georgia Tech jersey, actually, somewhere in his house that he saved, that he ripped off of a guy. Like, I mean, that's how – but, I mean, that UJ hockey team was pretty funny to – to be around a little bit because Mike was a good friend. He would have me come around and do stuff. And I'd literally gotten a fist fight with a Florida, with the Florida intramural hockey team back then uh, when we in Jacksonville, like for in the landings for like a, like on a team bus or something. Uh, it's a little hazy, the memory of it, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting with these rivalry weeks and, and Georgia tech fans are, are, you know, coming off a tough year. There's a lot of frustration, frustration with Ted roof and, the defense and the offense has taken kind of step back, even though coach Johnson warned it, but you know, one thing we haven't talked about and it's funny, this is kind of the opposite of last year, Georgia tech special teams are an atrocity and uh, Georgia seems to be pretty solid from what I've seen this year. I think they have some issues with the punter, but um, it, it seems like whatever was going on, they cleaned up kind of what happened there, Roddy. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny. I, I pointed out this the other day that, uh, uh, Georgia's punter is a graduate transfer from Columbia. Uh, Cam Naziliak mm-hmm. uh, actually has one of the highest averages in the nation. You know, Georgia went from 123rd in punting to the top 10. And a lot of those are, you know, Georgia's punting from its 50, you know, or uh, probably from the opponent's 45, and he's trying to pin them back, you know. So his uh, ha- average is through the roof, even though he's not trying to not always giving it all he's got, you know, he's trying those little coffin kicks and he's done a couple of things with uh, having the ball hit 
right at the two or three yard line and go out of bounds that I would love to be able to do with the pitching wedge. I mean, I would just I'd, I'd <laughs> kill to have that kind of kind of control that he has with the football when he drops it, you know, point first and does his thing. But like, uh, and he's got a tough last name, so I just call, always call him Cam the punter. Cam the punter has he was only good thing to come out of that Auburn game. I mean, he, he punted great and he's flipped the field for Georgia. Uh, Miko Hardman, you know, the five-star athlete that we had, you know, ranked at rivals, uh, wasted, not say wasted. He spent a year trying to be a cornerback and that just wasn't working out for him. Uh, Georgia needed help on in wide receiver and in the return game. And he has uh, been killing in the return game. He did have a muff against Auburn, but uh, he was on his way to almost 200 yards in return yards. So being uh, punt and kick returns. And then, you know, Rodrigo Blankenship, who last year could not kick a touchback to save his life. He had 20 all season long. Wow. You think about it. Okay. You know, Georgia plays 13 games. He kicks 20. So that, how many is that per game? That ain't a whole lot. You know, what, one and a half, uh, not even quite that. And then all of a sudden, um, he's kicked 58 out of the back wow. of the end zone this year. Yeah. So how do you go from 20 to 58, you know, same kicker, same coaches, but, uh, he's doing something different and he's just booming out the back of the end zone. So what's really helped George a lot this year is, uh, on, when it comes to kick returns or not, you know, everyone's having to start on the 25 and they're having to drive 75 yards against one of the best defenses in the nation. Um, you know, when it comes to the run and uh, George a little susceptible to the pass, but you know, run defense has been pretty stout. And especially when you got to do it, you know, entire 75 yards. Uh, if Georgia, you know, gets a three and out and they can't exactly advance the ball, uh, they're punting, you know, they're flipping the field with their punter. And if they do get a chance to return it, Miko Hardman has been returning it. So uh, Georgia's punt cov- uh, coverage team and its kick coverage team have been lights out, even though the kick coverage team had to, had to do a whole lot. And, I think at one point, seven or eight games into the season, the net return yards on punting was minus one yard. No one had been able to return a punt, and one guy tried to and got knocked back a yard. So uh, their the, the special teams has been like that. God, that was an Achilles heel for Georgia last year. I mean, just the number of games. I actually had a tweet that I send out every week about uh, my weekly tweet about special teams, how Georgia was screwing up. And at one point last year, I was actually actively uh, – uh, or I should say actively, but openly wondering, why isn't Bryce Ramsey punting? You know, sure. the, the backup kicker, I mean, backup quarterback, just because you know he could, and Marshall Long just couldn't get it done. But, boy, uh, Kirby addressed that pretty quickly, brought in a graduate transfer, and somehow fixed um, Rodrigo Blankenship so that, um, you know, yeah, there's not a whole lot of teams that are returning kicks on him. And when they do, I think uh, when he kicks it to just the one or two yard line, I think it's because on purpose that they've decided, hey, we think we can get to him before he get, gets to the 25. So, uh, and they've been able to do that some. So, yeah, a complete turnaround in the special teams has done wonders for Georgia. I think that's almost just as important as the fact of them being 10 and one right now as anything that you can point to. Cool. And, you know, it's interesting as we, we kind of wrap up our look at this. Um, from the UGA perspective with Roddy here, uh, it's interesting that the kind of way things have evolved and the way the season has gone for Georgia. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see how these two teams have played. And then the one thing that still strikes me about this is that it's sort of the road team seems to have an edge in this game. And I don't understand, you know, it seems counterintuitive on a lot of levels, but, Georgia Tech's only their last three wins all under, with Paul Johnson are all in Athens, and Georgia's managed to to 
pulled two come from behind wins in Atlanta and beat Georgia Tech. And kind of what do you make of that, right? It's kind of a weird situation when you you would think at home that would be the advantage for either team. Yeah, I can't, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it might have been one of the Stinchcombs uh, years and years ago was explaining how much simpler it was to play on the road because you're not worried about getting tickets for anybody. You're not worried about, uh, you know, people coming to town and what your dinner plans are going to be after the game. You know, no one's bugging you. Everyone's just telling you, Hey, go about your business. You know, we'll see you when you get back. And there was all just, he said, there's so much more clarity, you know, when you're going to an away game versus playing at home and it's fun to play at home because you got your friends and family there, but sometimes, you know, it can be distracting. And I'm not saying that's the case in this one because, you know, they're both technically home games. I mean, if you're going to go play at, you know, if you're a Georgia fan, I mean, a Georgia player, and you're going to go play at Georgia Tech, your fan was asking you for tickets. You know, how do we get in there? It's, this is a, a, a clear drive. So that's not what I think. I don't think it's a clarity there. I just think that sometimes these teams feed off the hate of the fans. Hmm. You know, when you're being booed relentlessly, you know, and you make a good play and all of a sudden gets quiet and you see them kind of do that little shush motion or they're on the sideline and they're just eating it up and the fans are screaming at them, you know, hey, 47, you're an idiot, you know, and they can hear it. I think that they just thrive on it. You know, at Georgia Tech, I mean, those fans are right on top of you. It's, you know, you can't get away from them. And then, you know, in Sanford Stadium, those people will come down to the little pathway behind the hedges there and they scream over the hedges at the Tech fans, you know, and just rip them. And of course, you know, there's cops there to move them along, but you know, they still get in four or five good yells before they're told to keep moving. <laughs> so you have those situations where I think it's just a situation where it's like, um, I don't clarity of focus. We're going into the opponent's home stadium. It's going to be ugly. Uh, it's going to be loud. They're going to try to get us off our thing, but, uh, because it's that rivalry, it doesn't matter where you're playing it. And, you know, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, the other fans are screaming at you and you're like, yeah, let's let's show them up so i mean again that's one thing i can come up with because statistically it makes zero sense yeah it's funny you know i covered a team this year that didn't win a road game so that's kind of an unusual thing but now that i think about it they played in some really weird environments they played in durham in front of no one last week uh two weeks before that they played in virginia in front of no one basically in a driving rainstorm i mean there were fans there but they were were not loud um they played in uh, Miami in front of no one, respectively, in a giant in a giant pro stadium with twenty thousand people there, and I think they may have had some pumped in noise possibly. Um, <laughs> and then in the dome, it was you know sixty forty Tennessee fans probably. So I mean, it was that was just loud. Like the game, the whole game was loud for both teams. So um, yeah, I'll be curious to see your perspective ne- after next week of what you think. I sat in the press box and they they designed the press box wrong. So there's no sound they're having to go back and they're going to go in and fix it. I think after the seasons are over, but uh, I'm curious, you'll be down on the field taking pictures. I'm curious. I'll be curious to see how loud you think it is and kind of what your perspective is on that on after you, uh, you guys play an SEC championship next week. Well, hit me up and I'll be happy to tell you. Cool. Well, I appreciate it, Roddy. Thanks for all your time. And, um, you guys can catch his work at uh, ugasports.com. Roddy's one of the best in the business and certainly the best UGA uh, reporter there is. And uh, pretty much everyone will tell you that if you ask him. And Roddy will probably tell you that too if you ask no him. One will, no one will tell you that. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Appreciate Roddy. That. I take care.